Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, one thing before we dive into today's conversation, as you heard in hosting, for those of you in the room, for those of you who came in maybe a little bit later and missed hosting part, next Sunday evening, we are having evening of vision. All of our churches are going to come together on our Mariana location at 5 p.m., and we're going to celebrate what God has been doing in and through RCC, amazing things to share with you. And also, we're going to talk about where we feel like God is leading us for the next season of ministry. So make sure you mark your calendars next Sunday evening for 5 p.m. And then don't forget to schedule in also the after party. Uh, man, just a great time of food and fellowship. You do not want to miss that. So go ahead and grab your RCC app and go to the talk notes or whatever you're going to take notes on today. And let's jump into part seven of a conversation we've been having entitled NAVPLAN. Now, it's uh, what is NAVPLAN? If you're a first-time guest with us today, it's been a series of conversations that is taking us on a journey into a greater discovery of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and have a growing, don't miss this, mature adult kind of faith. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a short period of time, or maybe some of you many years at our churches, I know many of you have, um, or today, if you're at our churches today, and you're just trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, and you still got all these questions, and you've got all these doubts, here's why this series matters to all of us, no matter your stage of faith, and that is this. Everything has a starting point. We've said this from the beginning. You had a starting point. Some of you started on purpose. Some of you were a pleasant surprise, and we are so glad that you are here. Now, everything, I mean, think about this. Your relationships, your career, your education, your good habits, your bad habits, they all had a starting point. And while most of us as adults don't think about this, everything has a starting point, including your faith. See, many of us, as we've said, we began our faith when we were a child because what happened is somebody told us, hey, here's what you need to believe, and we believe that, which is normal for a child. Someone we trusted, we looked up to, they said, hey, here's what you need to believe about God, here's what you need to believe about faith and the Bible, and that's, how, and that's what you believed, and that's how your faith got started. But when you become an adult, you need more than just a childhood faith. Like, there are some gaps that you need to fill and some problems that you need to address. Because what you were taught as a child, it cannot hold up under the adult pressures of life. So during this series, we've been asking this question, like, what would it look like to have an adult starting point of faith? Because many of us need that. In other words, we've said this, if you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start? Like if you were starting over today and you knew nothing, where would you start? What would you learn? So if you missed any of these conversations, I really hope you go catch up on our app or our website because they're so foundational to you having an adult kind of faith. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue our conversation about one idea that is at the heart of this issue of having an adult kind of faith. Now, we have mentioned it some during this series, but we haven't addressed it directly. And it's this idea of what is foundational for faith. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, what is faith? What is belief? And just to be clear, we're going to use the terms faith and belief interchangeably today. But here's why this is such an important conversation for all of us have today. Faith or belief is probably one of the most confused, misused, abused concepts 
in all of religion, especially with health, wealth, and prosperity, and name it and claim it, and grab any verse out of the Bible and make it into a promise. So today, what we want to do is we want to debunk some of those mysteries, some of those myths, some of those questions around faith. Questions like this, does following Jesus require blind faith? Does it require like this leap into the dark? Is it about faith in faith? Does it require blind faith? Now, we don't think about it this way often, but the truth is faith isn't just a religious idea. And most of us don't think about that. Faith isn't just a religious idea. You express faith all the time. Like every time you get on an airplane, you have faith that where you're, go- where you're going to go, you're going to get there unless you're flying like you fill in the blank, probably Spirit or Frontier or something like that. I had a friend said, man, I got me a $39 ticket. And he said, by the time that thing rattled and rolled all the way up to the altitude it was supposed to be at, we show, he said, the thing felt like it's coming apart. And he thought, my life is a whole lot more valuable than $39. Now, I'll let you decide which airline you don't trust, but that's okay. Or how about this one? Every time you get in a car and you drive on a two-way road, you're expressing a lot of faith in that other driver. Or let's even make it more personal. Every time you eat out, you're expressing that that cooking, or you're expressing faith in the fact that that cooking environment is sanitary and the cooks wash their hands before they went to the restroom. Some of you just change your lunch plans, right? Seriously, here's the thing. We all have faith in something. So let's start with some like some general truths about faith. Here's the first one, and that is this. The ability to believe or have faith is the most powerful force mankind possesses. I mean, think about it. It is an ability to believe, to have faith that only humans possess. I mean, your dog doesn't dream about a better future, right? Your dog doesn't gather with other dogs and talk about what could be and what should be around your house. Like only humans have the ability to dream and believe and express faith. So faith is like this incredibly powerful tool that God gave to us at our disposal. It's an ability that he gave us to be able to have belief or faith in something. So everything, if you stop and think about it, everything that's been accomplished in human history has happened because somebody believed, somebody had faith that it could happen. Like everything that ever started out as an idea, that person that had that idea had faith that it could become a reality. And the words then came out of their mouth that expressed that belief to others. And the next thing you know, the world was changed. Like every challenge that's ever been overcome, every problem that's been solved, every breakthrough that's been developed had someone behind it that believed it was possible. See, Jesus said, faith can move mountains. And it has. It's moved medical mountains. It's moved financial mountains. It's moved scientific mountains. It's moved political mountains. It's moved racial mountains. I mean, think about it this way. Our nation was founded because a group of people in the 1700s believed that all men, all mankind, we should say, were created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They, they believed, they had faith 
that a better government or a better country was possible, and it caused them to rally with their words and eventually rally people to fight against the British at extraordinary odds, and they prevailed. And then in the 1800s, it was faith that led to the belief that led this same country to fight against itself in a civil war. I mean, think about it. Some people believed in states' rights over federal rights. Others believed the power should rest ultimately with a strong federal government. Some people believed that slavery was moral. Others were convinced it was an abomination that should and could be eradicated forever. And those beliefs, they led people to rally their cause until finally someone said, on this side, we're getting our guns. And the other group says, well, we're getting our guns too. And we had civil war in our hands, right? And then faith was what launched and sustained the civil rights movement. I mean, faith is what fueled Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to rally people to a cause. And he says, hey, listen, we, we can have something so much better than our past and our future. Our future world doesn't have to be our past world and our present world. King says, hey, we're not going to respond with violence. We're just going to keep doing the right thing. And we're going to believe and have faith that triumph is, or that good is going to triumph over evil. So faith is what he shared that day when he stood on the steps and said, I have a dream that one day my four children will live in a country where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That is the power of faith. People having faith or belief in something, it has changed our world over and over again. It's unlike anything else that humans possess. Because see, if we believe in something, what we do is we look for ways to make it happen. If we have faith that something could and should be, we won't stop until it happens. So that's the first thing I want you to think about faith. It's a unique ability. Now, here's a second observation about faith, and that is this. We constantly look for evidence to support what we believe is true. We all do this, confirmation bias. We're always looking for evidence to support what we believe is true. I mean, this is particularly true if you're a Republican and a Democrat. I'm just messing with you, right? You made somebody a little nervous right there, right? It doesn't matter what political party you affiliated with. It's like, it's why you watch the sources that you watch on social media or TV, if you still watch TV, like, because you agree with what you hear. Like, you watch that because you have an agreement with it. And if you happen to accidentally catch some other channel that you disagree with, you don't just sit there and listen to their point of view to learn. No, you flip that channel, right? Religious people do this as well. Like, Southern Baptists, they don't hang out with Methodists. Catholics don't hang out with Presbyterians. Why? Because we are constantly looking for evidence to support what we believe is true. And then once we're sure we're right, then we filter out any evidence that we hear that is contrary. We avoid anything that challenges our beliefs. But then there's a third observation I want you to think about. Belief is easy to maintain within a shared community of beliefs. Like once you figure out what you believe, then you surround yourself with other people who believe it. And now a whole group of you can allow in the evidence that supports what you believe. And then you can keep out the evidence that contradicts what you believe. 
Like group think is powerful. There are many studies about that. Rich people tend to think alike. Poor people tend to think alike. It's true for any group because belief or faith is very powerful. Now, let's talk about religious faith right now. Think about it. You've probably never thought about, oh, there's, oh, there's this just faith in general, and then how does that have to play into religion? Listen, while there is this supernatural component to saving faith, saving faith, Apostle Paul is very clear, it is a gift from God. It is not of yourself. So there is this supernatural component to saving faith. But faith in and of itself is not a power or force. It's not some force that stands outside of God and man. And somehow we have to figure out how we're going to tap in to this power force of faith. And then like once you tap in to the special power force of faith, then you have power to do more spectacular things for God. That's new age. That's not Christian faith. In fact, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 17, you can look it up sometime, that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do great things. And what Jesus is saying is it's not about the size of your faith, it's about the object of your faith. Don't miss that. Jesus is saying when it comes to biblical faith, the issue is not the amount of your faith, it is the object of your faith. That's why the question we started asking you at the beginning of the series is so important. Who is Jesus? Now, there's something else that you should consider about biblical faith, and that is this. Biblical faith is not a formula. Faith, Faith is not figuring out some kind of code, and then once you figure out the code, then you can work the formula to get God to do things for you. It's not if you do this, then God is going to do this. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, If it's not all of that, if it's not this special force force, and it's not this formula, what is faith? Well, the amazing thing about faith is while it's a powerful thing, Scripture makes it very clear and very simple to understand. Biblical faith is basically this. You may want to write it down. Biblical faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he promised to do. This is what biblical faith is. It is, first of all, the confidence that God is who he says he is. Who is Jesus? But that's not all. That he will do what he promised to do. And this right here is where many of us struggle with the idea of faith. Because we listened to some me-centered faith teacher and believe that God had promised us some things that really he did not promise. We listened to some me-centered person. They grabbed a verse out of context and claimed it and named it as a promise. And they taught you to do the same thing. And now you're angry at God because God didn't name it or God didn't make it happen after you named and claimed it. And see, while focusing on what God promised to do for us, I mean, that would be a whole sermon series in itself. Here's the thing you need to understand that is true about God's promises. And that is this, God has not promised to deliver us from our circumstances. No, in fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulations. In this world, you are going to suffer, he says. 
God has not promised to deliver us from our circumstances, but he has promised to deliver us through them. And I know that we resist this idea at times because after all, we all want a more me-centered kind of faith. We, we want faith to be the key that just unlocks the code to avoiding any kind of pain or suffering in our life. We don't want to have to go through any pain. We don't have to go through hardship. We want to have to go through any difficulty. We, we want our faith to be this special formula that makes it all about us. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. If you miss anything, everything else, don't miss this. A me-centered faith is not the foundation for a mature adult faith because a me-centered faith is going to make you crumble every time you experience hardship, suffering, and pain and difficulty in your life because Jesus did not promise that. He promised that he would deliver us through it, not deliver us from it. In fact, I think the reason we get so disappointed with God is we forget or we don't understand that our foundation faith is the confidence that God will do what he promised he would do, but not more than that. He's gonna deliver us through it, not from it. So, so how do we have that kind of confidence that no matter what kind of adult pressures we experience in life, we can stand strong and have a strong adult faith? Well, I wanna take the next couple of minutes to kind of tell you the reason why we can have that confidence in God. And in doing so, I'm gonna be sharing with you the foundation for a mature adult faith. Think about it this way. When Jesus died, Jesus' disciples, his followers, they decided that he had been nothing more than a powerful speaker whose powerful speaking got him crucified. I mean, when he died, none of his disciples believed that Jesus was son of God. None of them believed that anymore. So you know what they did? They gave up. They fled. I mean, they hid for fear of their lives. They quit following Jesus. Now, here's why that is so important for us to understand this morning. That's not how religious movements get started. When Gandhi died, the followers of Gandhi said, we don't want his teachings to die with him. So they went around and they started sharing his teachings and getting people to revere him. When Muhammad died, his followers said, hey, hey, we, we got to get these teachings of Islam and we need to copy them and spread them and we need to teach them to others. We need to keep this thing going. I mean, that's what happens with all religious leaders who found some kind of religious movement except Jesus. When Jesus died, none of his followers got over here and put a plan together for how we're going to keep his message going and spread his teachings. You know why? Because Jesus hadn't primarily come to introduce good principles or good teaching into the world. He had not come to do, be this like good teacher sent from God. No, he came saying, I am God in human flesh. I'm not just here to tell you what God is like. I'm here to show you what God is like. And those friends, those disciples, I mean, they thought that it was true that he was just a good teacher and that he wasn't who he said he was when he was crucified. Because here's why. God doesn't get crucified on a Roman cross. God can't be buried in a borrowed tomb. I mean, the, these people who knew him best, his disciples, his closest followers, they were sure, hey, he's dead, he's in a tomb, and he's going to stay that way. So they had no interest 
interest in spreading his teaching any further because he's not who he said he was. They were done with his teachings because he's clearly not who he claimed to be. It was the end. The game was over. But as we know, and we're glad we know this, it wasn't game over, was it? And this is why I have faith in and follow Jesus, because just a few days later, the same group of friends who ran for the hills when Jesus was arrested, these same guys, they stood in the very same people in front of the same group of people that crucified Jesus. They stood in front of the same group of people where they watched Jesus die. They preached to them, but they did not preach about Jesus' teaching. They, they didn't tell the people about Jesus' parables. You know what they said? They had a four-point message. And it was the only message they shared for the rest of their life. Here's what they said to him. They said, you killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. You need to repent and follow him. I mean, they're like preaching these people who had Jesus crucified. They're like, hey, Joe, I saw you screaming for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Hey, you Pharisees back there, you killed him. We know you were in on that. Or how about it, Annas and Caiaphas? You guys, you are the high priest that got this whole conspiracy thing going. You killed him. God raised him. And we know it because we've seen him. You didn't think he was who he said he was when you killed him. But once he came back to life, hey, we realized this. We got this wrong. He is God in human flesh. Now, I suggest you need to repent and you need to follow him. That, that was their entire message. Their faith in Jesus was built, was not built on what Jesus taught. Their faith in Jesus was what they saw Jesus do, come back from the dead. It's why when they talked or they preached about Jesus, they talked about what they seen him do, that he rose from the dead. I mean, these guys who just weeks earlier, they had basically hit the unfollow button and they abandoned Jesus and they we're so sure they were wrong about him because he wasn't who obviously who he said he was because now he's dead in a tomb. Now they are risking their lives and ultimately most of them lost their lives because they would not stop telling people not about what they believed. Lots of people die for what they believe. These guys, these disciples, they would not stop talking about what they had seen. I mean, keep in mind, what I'm about to read to you, it is recorded after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to what they say. In Acts chapter four, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Again, not anything about what they believed. Not, not anything about the stories of the teachings of Jesus. All they wanted to talk about is what they had seen and what they had heard. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. You need to repent and you need to follow him. In fact, in week one of this series, we talked about what the apostle Paul said um, in Athens when he was talking about Jesus to the Athenians. The apostle Paul didn't say, hey, let me just tell you about some beliefs that you need to follow. No, no, no. He said, Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. And he told him, he says, I know you find that hard to believe, but God gave us proof. You, you don't have to have blind faith or belief in belief. In fact, here's what the apostle Paul told him. Remember this in Acts chapter 17? He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. Do, do you know why Christianity survived the first century? 
Do you know why I follow Jesus? Do you know why I believe that you should seriously explore considering following Jesus if you're not a Jesus follower? Because when Jesus died, he had no followers left. There were zero Christians. Everyone abandoned him. None of them even tried to claim that they were a hero and they had figured that whole thing out. No, in their own accounts, they admitted, no, we unfollowed him. We, we left. We went back to fishing again. We did our own thing. And then they saw something. They didn't believe something. They saw something and they did a 180 overnight and it changed the rest of their lives forever. Their, their message, it never changed after that. It was God has done something for the whole world. Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus to die and rise again to pay the penalty for our sin. You killed him. God raised him. I know it's hard to believe, but we've seen him. We can introduce him to over 500 other people who saw him too. Now you repent. And I think you need to choose to follow him. Now, here's the thing that we all have to understand. The foundation of our faith is not, before you check out on this next statement I'm fixing to make, hang with me. The foundation for our faith is not the teachings of Jesus. My faith is in the verifiable, fully examinable proof that something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. The church doesn't exist today because of blind faith. It exists because of the resurrection. And I don't just believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says it. I believe it because Matthew was there and he wrote about it. And Peter, who ran for his life, he says, I, I saw him. I had breakfast on the beach with him. I talked to him. It literally happened. And John, he was there. And he claimed it was true, and he wrote about it. And Luke, he interviewed all these people who verified it happened, and he wrote about it. And James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, he all of a sudden suddenly believed, and he started following. I mean, think about it. If you have a brother, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? Like nothing short of a resurrection, right? <laughs> I mean... That's what it took for James. But here's the thing. Once he saw Jesus alive, like he's all in. Here's the point. Christians don't follow Jesus because of what he taught, but because of what he did. See, I don't follow Jesus because of what he taught. I follow him because of what he did. And because of what he did, rise from the dead, I follow everything he taught. I mean, think about it. Matthew and Peter. James, John, Andrew, Philip, all the apostles, Apostle Paul, and all the others. They, they didn't follow Jesus because of his teachings. They followed him because of a single event that forever changed them. Because of a single event, they followed his teaching. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was communicating to the church at Corinth, as they were having this debate, he said these words. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The Apostle Paul even said, hey, the foundation of our faith is a resurrected Savior. And if we believe that he is who he says he is, then that should change everything. So what we said in week one of this series is still true. The fundamental question that you have to wrestle with is this, who is Jesus? I mean, that, folks, is the question to answer. I mean, think about why this question is so important. Like, why do I have confidence that God hears my private prayers and he cares? Why do I have confidence that God is with me and for me? Why do I have confidence that God loves me unconditionally and accepts me in? 
to his family? Like, why do I have the confidence that God forgives me, adopts me into his family forever? Why do I have the confidence that I can call God Heavenly Father? Why do I have the confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he promised to do? Here's what I can tell you. Until you answer this question, who is Jesus? You will not be confident that God is who he says he is. And you will not be confident that he will do what he said he would do. So who is Jesus? You still need to wrestle with that question and figure that out until you are certain about it, no matter what the circumstances are in your life. Did Jesus die and rise again? And if he did, and we as a church absolutely absolutely believe that is true, then that changes everything. Because if a man can predict his death and his resurrection and pull it off, then we go with everything that he said. So you need to explore that. For yourself, because following Jesus is not about blind faith. It's not belief and belief, or it's not faith and faith. It's not figuring out a formula or tapping into this kind of special power source. It's about putting faith in the evidence that God has given you. Because the foundation, don't miss this, the foundation for a mature adult faith is this it is the confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he promised to do. Not what people pulled out of context and tried to name and claim, but what he promised to do, that he will be with you through it and deliver you through it. So your homework this week is two questions. You already know the first question because I already gave it to you. Well, you know both questions, really. The first one is to go back to week one and say this, who is Jesus? You really got to nail this down. It's the only way to have a stable adult kind of faith that will withstand the pressures of life. And the second one you need to discuss this week is this, and that is, did you find this message disturbing when it comes to the whole idea of faith? If so, which parts and why? Now, Christ followers, which parts of the understanding of faith really bothered you and messed you up based upon what you'd been taught before? You need to talk about it because it's probably why many of you have an unstable kind of faith, a childhood-sized faith. If you're with us today and you're, and you're not a Christ follower, my question to you is, what, what messed with you? I would encourage you to talk about it because I think you'll find a starting point for your faith if you'll have this conversation. So let me pray for us. And then next week, we're gonna come back together and we're gonna wrap this whole thing up. And some of you are so ready for that because you're like, what is going to be the final part of this? Come back next week and we'll see. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your incredible, incredible love for us. God, I thank you that you came, you lived, you died, you rose again. But I thank you, not only did you do that for us, but God, that there is verifiable evidence that you are who you said you are. And God, I thank you that we can have a foundation that is unshakable, that is sure. So I pray that you help each one of us to continue to lean in until we are confident of who you are. Help us to answer this question. Who is Jesus? And own it at the core of our being. Because only then can we have the confidence that you are who you say you are and that you'll do what you promised to do. And God, I thank you that you had men 
record this. And over the ages, you've protected this. And, and now we have not only the truth that you are who you said you are, but we also have your teachings that lead us and guide us and give us eternal wisdom for life. So I thank you that following you makes our lives better and makes us so much better at life. And because we believe you are our resurrected king, we surrender our lives to following you and living according to what you taught. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Thanks everyone for being with us today. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.